Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. This is our 36th episode, and today we're going to be talking about mental health services, but from a different angle, the insurance coverage angle. The United States is still a long way from eliminating the stigma associated with seeking care for mental health needs, but the pandemic has laid bare the fact that more of us struggle with mental illness than society wanted to acknowledge prior to COVID-19, forcing us into isolation and disrupting all of our lives. Insurance coverage of benefits and provider networks have been challenged with the demand for mental health services during this time, but to some extent have been aided by developing technology that can provide new access points through telehealth. The mental health landscape is rapidly evolving, and governmental and institutional policy to support demand has been really slow to keep pace. Now, I can't go into our nation's long history of institutionalization for mental illness prior to the deinstitutionalization movement that began in the late 1950s, but it was about at the same time that private insurance began covering some hospital psychiatric care, and that is in large part due to there being little incentive for private insurers to cover community-based mental health services that were already paid through the public sector. Coverage for and recipients of mental health services at that time were really concentrated in low-income and disabled Medicaid populations throughout the late 1900s and into the first decade of this century. Now, This concentration in Medicaid only perpetuated the notion that mental illness afflicted only disadvantaged populations. Well, that has begun to change over the last 15 years, due in part to congressional action that required insurance coverage of mental health services under the Affordable Care Act of 2010 and the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act of 2008, which was intended to eliminate differences in insurance coverage for mental and physical health. So, here to talk about the evolution of insurance coverage for mental health services in recent years, as well as some other important topics, including rural physician practice, is Dr. Mark Jansen, who is Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield. He joined the faculty at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in 2013 and was quickly recognized as Teacher of the Year in 2015. I have no doubt about the validity of that. (laughs) Now, prior to all that, he spent nearly 30 years in primary care practice in Arkadelphia, which is the home of the Reddies. Thanks, Dr. Jansen, for joining us, and welcome to the show. Well, it's home of the Reddies and home of the Tigers. Don't forget <laughs> Washington, Battle of the Ravine. <laughs> Give everybody credit. I know, right? Right. But I know that that Arcan, uh, Arkadelphia Reddies band oh, is really something good. else. Really good. I have some cousins who've been in that band, so they're, they're pretty awesome. So before we get to the more serious stuff, I want to know what keeps Dr. Jansen busy when he's not being Dr. Jansen. Uh, I, I Actually, my baby is a 2001... Uh, Toyota 4Runner, third generation, go third generation. I mean, and it's got 167,000 miles on it. I bought it secondhand, but, you know, all 
dig down into the middle of the motor periodically. My wife thinks I'm crazy to put oh, a part in there out. and then get it going again. So I'm, I guess I'm about old vehicles and old boats. <laughs> <laughs> so you get your get your hands dirty. In I there. get my hands dirty, and uh, she you, says I'm rebuilding this thing one part at a time from Amazon or eBay. <laughs> so do you take them out for a run? Oh yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, where's your where's your favorite place to go here locally? Well, just to get out. I, I keep it over in Hot Springs, and then oh, we'll okay. get just get out in the river bottoms uh, by the Arkansas River. Oh, yeah. I mean by the Washita yeah. River, actually, yeah. because there are a lot of places oh, yeah. that you can get almost stuck, and then yeah. can you I, get back out? I've been stuck with my with my boots. Yeah, down yeah, in that oh, mud. You, yeah. You, you can you can get out in the middle of one of those swamps, and it's like quicksand. It is. Uh, all right. So I asked this of all of our wonky guests. What would you say is your theme song? You know, I think I probably have two, not just one. So most days, I'm going to say "Take It Easy" by the Eagles. There you go. So open up And then periodically it gets to Highway to the Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Kenny Loggins. Yeah. And actually Jackson Brown wrote a lot of that song, believe it or not. Oh, so I did not know that. It's a that. little fact, yeah. I, j- I just bought um, a double vinyl live Kenny Loggins album just the other day because it had Celebrate Me Home on and it's nearing Christmas, you know, and so uh, I bought that, that, but he's got some great songs and he does them well live. And I think I got it backwards. I actually think Jackson Brown was on Take It Easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So anyway, and that makes sense. Did you go to the concert? I did not. I just, you know, Sunday night's school night for me still. Have you seen him live? I have not. I have. Yeah. I did. I saw him in the 90s when they came through on the health. I heard heard it was really good on Sunday night. It was a great one. Um, so, uh, first I want you to tell us a little bit about your role at, at Blue Cross. Right. So I'm, my official title is vice president and chief medical officer. And so I am the, it's, it sounds self-serving, but I guess I'd say I'm the highest ranking medical officer at the company. Mm -hmm. And it is a position that involves development of policy. There's a lot of data science Mm -hmm. that I'm involved with, predictive analytics. I mean, you know, for a little old country doctor from Arkadelphia (laughs) to be sitting up there on the eighth floor of Gaines, uh, some some days I feel a little bit out of place. But I've been there now about three and a half years, and I'm starting to understand the role better. And it really, I think, is critical that a company like Blue Cross have – legitimate medical input into what they do on a daily basis. You know, doctors are used to being in a medical business. Mm -hmm. This is an insurance business that deals with medical claims and such. So it's a little bit different. And you have to readjust your mindset a little bit out of the rigors of of practice or or even administration when I was at UAMS because it's it's a different role. Yeah. But it's extraordinarily interesting. But it's great that you get to bring in the rural physician practice into that kind of in that experience into into that role i i think the problem in arkansas is a lot of times people think about arkansas as being little rock or northwest arkansas and they forget about the rural areas unless yeah. they're from there yeah but you know recall not too many years ago we were still about 44 percent rural and so the you you know our obligation at blue cross is to be sure that all of our members have availability to quality health care and when you're in little rock it's a little easier yeah. when you're up in northwest arkansas a little easier when you're in DeWitt or Dumas, it's sometimes a little bit harder. <laughs> very, very hard, yeah. Uh, so wh- what are the biggest pressures that insurers are facing as they try to respond to the clear demand for mental health services that we're all seeing? I think you said it well. I think the pandemic pulled the Band-Aid off of the 
uh, prevalence of mental health conditions. And certainly, if you didn't feel stressed during uh, the pandemic, I think you got something wrong with right. you because I think everybody felt a whole lot of stress and need for mental health services. The Probably the best silver lining of a very large and black cloud would be the development of telemental health mm-hmm. because the expansion of opportunity for people to have access to good mental health professionals via telemedicine technology, I think was really the thing that stood out to me. When I look at claims for telemedicine in general, of course, Mm -hmm. everything blew up back in March of 2020 because no offices were open. If you were going to get care, then you would need to uh, figure out some way to do it. And since no one was in the office and no one could go to the office, the only way it could happen was via the web. Yeah. You had all these physicians who were really good at what they did, but the idea that they would do a telemedicine visit, they had no training for it. They had no equipment for it. So it did provide a challenge. Now, if you look at the history of telemedicine, telebehavioral health has been around for a long, long time. Well, why is that? Because it's mostly talk. Yeah. Okay. You, you generally laying hands you on generally <laughs> don't. I mean, you know, psychiatrists do have the ability to lay hands on people, but generally that's not part of their trade. And so certainly with the other mental health professionals, the the silver lining was that as people realized they needed the care, virtual care gave them an opportunity to have access from anywhere, pretty much to anyone who is qualified to provide the care. So again, looking at claims. All medical care was delivered virtually for a period of time, but I've seen the claims fall off for other types of care as people have started physically to go back to the office. We haven't seen any drop-off in telebehavioral health. So I think that's going to be a dominant way that folks get care. What what does that in particular mean for folks in in rural areas? I'm going to go back to Arkadelphia. There was a behavioral health office, but uh-huh. when you're in a small town, if you've ever been in one, everybody knows what car you drive. Right. And so when you're at the store or you're at the laundromat or wherever or church, or when you're at the mental health office, everybody knows, hey, yeah. that's Mark Jansen's vehicle <laughs> there. What's wrong with him? And it's like it, if you're down at the jail. Yeah. So you're so, so. So, yeah something. You're either <laughs> delivering cookies or you're there for some other reason, right? So so the stigma of mental health issues is just more uh, obvious, I would say, yeah. when, when you're not in a large metropolitan area where you kind of get lost in the crowd because everybody knows mm-hmm. everything about everyone. And if you're not that interesting, they'll make something up about <laughs> you just to have something to talk about. You know that. Yeah, yeah. So that. So it really created an impediment when you had folks in a rural area getting access to mental health care because of the country stigma of going to a mental health professional. Now, with the advent of telemedicine, you can be in the privacy of wherever. And, you know, the the laws, as you know, through Mm -hmm. policy have expanded for telemedicine as far as access. So I really think that's been the best part of a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, and I've I read it recently, you wrote an article entitled, Guys, It's Time to Take Charge of Our Health. I want to know what the impetus for the focus on guys was and what were the messages that you wanted to convey there? Traditionally, women have been the health deciders of of a family unit. So they're the ones that are going to make sure the kids get care, that they get care for themselves. And men have oftentimes seen uh, seeking health care unless something 
was either hurting or bleeding or was going to keep you from the first week of deer season, <laughs> you weren't going to get anything done about it. So the idea of preventive care for men has just never been very popular. And again, being in a rural area, I would watch these guys. I, you know, I was telling you, I was taking care of my 2001 Forerunner, my baby. So men are really good about taking care of their equipment. They're really bad about taking care of more important equipment, which is their bodies. Yeah. And And the notion that I'm going to a doctor, but I don't hurt. I'm not bleeding. Why am I going to the doctor? Yeah. So, so we're really trying to emphasize, and 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 it makes sense in a couple of ways. One is altruistically, we just don't want people to have bad things happen to them. Mm-hmm. And then when you get down to the finances, we know from our data that it's really less expensive for somebody to get preventive care, mm-hmm. be it a screen for colon cancer, prostate cancer, whatever. It's so much less expensive to get that screen done, so that if you don't have a problem, great. If you do have a problem, can we find it at an earlier stage? Better for you as a patient or a member because maybe you're not going to have a real arduous treatment course or a very expensive one or maybe die. And then it's better for us because you're not going to be on our our books what we call a high-cost claimant. Yeah. Yeah. And making that link for guys in particular about Doing the maintenance right. stuff is, is really I critical. Mean, when you get your it oil when you get your oil changed, does your car run better? Right. Does your truck run better? No. no. Well, then why'd you do it? Because <laughs> well, you're supposed to. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, you mentioned Arkadelphia, and you've had a lot of experience in rural practice there. Have and you've seen this evolution of mental health from the physician's vantage point. What what would you say are the biggest changes from the 80s when you started practicing until till now? I think there's there's been this uh, evolution of understanding of mental health disorders. So it's not just anxiety. It's not just depression. There are all the nuances of, you know, unipolar depression versus bipolar disease. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, there has been an advent of new uh, medical understanding of the mm-hmm. biochemistry the genetics and the biochemistry of mental health disorders, the ability to do with much more precision something that really is of benefit. And I think the the error has been that, you know, good mental health care is not all pharmacological and it's not all talk and and what we call cognitive behavioral intervention. It's really probably a mixture of both. And and so you have a, a, a little resistance sometimes to folks who don't want to take a pill mm-hmm. because they're worried, for example, about becoming addicted yeah. to something because many of the drugs that were used early on, we now know, oh, when I was in practice early, Valium was great and you couldn't get addicted to that, right? Well, then later on you thought, uh-oh, wait a minute, <laughs> the benzodiazepines, which is the Valium-type drug category, they, they do have the potential for addiction. Yeah. So we just have a better understanding of the pharmacology. We have a better understanding of the different subcategories of mental health and the the disorders to be able to do a, a better job of actually making a legitimate treatment uh, for that. Yeah. So, so our our focus, of course, has been on on mental health. But what are some of the other big issues that are faced by rural practitioners? Uh, capacity is number one. Hmm. You know, you and I both know from other discussions we've had that. The rural health uh, force, the the provider force, is aging, mm-hmm. and so you just are losing a lot of the of the classic country family doctors. And yes, nurse practitioners and physicians assistants are coming in, and they're certainly playing a part in replacing some of that workforce. But 
you just are seeing an aging out. And that's true with physicians. It's true with nurses. And my real fear is that you're going to be left with a population that's already older, a little sicker, Mm -hmm. a little more disadvantaged, that now will lose kind of the classic provider in the community. And remember, physicians in those communities are not just um, medical care providers. They tend to be school board members. Mm -hmm. They tend to be deacons in a church. They're leaders of the community. So when the community loses a physician, I mean, there's a study that the Robert Graham uh, association made yeah. talking about the impact of a family doctor in a town on a yearly basis. This is back from 2015. It's $845,000 of economic impact wow. per physician in Arkansas. So that was really drilled down to a state level. So when you think about uh, the economic vitality mm-hmm. of a community, as a physician leaves and no one comes to replace them, if you're trying to recruit industry to a town, if you don't have docs, if you don't have nurses, if you don't have a hospital, you don't have a pitch that you can make to that industry. Yeah, yeah. It's a real ripple effect mm-hmm. when, you, when you lose one. So my final question of you, if you were to give one piece of advice to someone considering a career as a physician in a rural area, what would that be? Don't shy away from it because it's rural. The, the, uh, the idea that you can't have a fulfilling life in a rural area. You know, many rural, many rural areas in Arkansas are within reasonable driving distance. I was yeah. in Arkadelphia. I was an hour away from Little Rock. I was 12 minutes from Lake DeGray, mm-hmm. uh, 12 minutes from the Washtenaw River bottoms, which are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a lot of recreational opportunities that you can take advantage of. It's oftentimes a really good place to raise a family. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't, don't discount that as a impossibility. But in those rural areas, I, I do think you have to consider who is your significant other, be it spouse or otherwise. You know, do they have opportunities for their professional development and yeah. career? What about the school systems? Can my child get a good education? So I think the rural, the rural communities have an obligation if they're trying to recruit physicians or other healthcare providers. They've got to look at the things that are important to those folks, and as best they can, develop things that those folks will need to feel that they're fulfilled. In their, when you're in three little exam rooms, you know, all day long, if it's three exam rooms in West Little Rock or it's three exam rooms in West Arkadelphia, it's the same three rooms. So it's not so much the practice part, it's all the other things outside the building that will make you or break you. Yeah. We got a, we got a big job ahead of us to, to get some of those folks into, into rural areas. And, uh, I know you're leading that effort as well. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Wonks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.